When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello there, this is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast back once again. I'm Ali Maxwell and on today's show with me is a panel of three. See if you can guess today's topic based on their introductions. As they say in Portugal, he brought the bus and he left the bus in front of the goal. Whatever it takes to win, it's Liam Tharm. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Good. Now this guy, he prefers really not to speak. <laughs> if he speaks, he's in big trouble, in big trouble, and he doesn't want to be in big trouble. Mark Carey. Hola. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, lastly, please do not call him arrogant because what he says is true. He's a best-selling author in the athletics tactics writer. He is not one out of the bottle. He thinks he's a special one. Michael Cox. I'm pleased you went with the correct a uh, special yeah. one rather than the special one. It's really annoyed me over the years. There's quite a big difference between the and a in that context, I think. Yeah. wouldn't describe myself as either for the record. <laughs> thank you. I think that's certainly, uh, you know, that's very on brand for you, but it is important to be as correct as possible. Yeah, it's Jose Mourinho on the mind today. The Athletic Football Tactics Pod have done an excellent episode on the inside story, if you like, on the end of his time at Roma. Uh, we're going to be putting Mourinho at the heart of a wider discussion about modern football tactics. And I think it's going to take us to some pretty interesting places. Uh, before we start, Liam, you've been working overseas this week. Where and why? Where and why? Well, people will be able to read uh, soon enough. There'll be a big sort of piece coming soon and, and probably another couple of pieces that it, it contributes to. But I was invited out to the, the academy at PSV for a couple of days there. They have wow, awesome. these sort of coaching interest days. Coaches can can go across and you get all the behind behind the scenes stuff. You know, there's some great presentations from, from coaches, analysts, sports scientists. So you really get to sort of peer in and then see it all in action as well, watching training sessions and, and fortunate enough to watch a, a young PSV game, which is their 21s and quite a unique setup, at least as someone who's come come from English football, that they, along with three of the other sort of top top Dutch teams um, have their U teams playing in the second tier, which is the only mm -hmm. other professional tier. So you're watching a really good level academy team um, play against sort of senior pros and it throws up some interesting sort of tactical repercussions because they're playing against players that are more experienced and, and bigger than them as well. And I'm guessing that they have in those presentations presented the PSV way, uh, presumably a, a fairly clear identity within the youth team, the way that they play in matches, the way that they are trained, the way they are developed, pushing towards the first team for sort of uh, minimal lag if they were to reach the first team. What I'm always interested, interested in is for the player, do we think that is the best thing for their future as a professional footballer? A low percentage of those players will play first team football for PSV over their career. What about the rest of them? I often wonder if such specialization in specific styles might hinder long-term, you know, some of the maybe more broad general aspects of sustaining a long career as a professional. Yeah, I was quite impressed and maybe pleasantly surprised um, to see the extent to which 
the humanistic side of things was really considered, that they weren't trying to force fit a player uh, into playing a specific certain way. They do an awful lot of work on player profiling and that is sort of physical... Um, and that there's testing which in academies in England without boring people is standardised by the Premier League isn't the same in the Netherlands so they do these things off you know off their own back to have these and, and have their averages and work out where players are there's sort of technical profiling they do and, and tactical work within that um, and it all becomes sort of very simplified into a degree of you know, trying to view players as okay, is this midfielder maybe more of a more of a passer, more of a dribbler. And at younger age groups, they have um, a bigger focus on balancing out those groups so that you've got a mix of profiles within that. And that might be technical, might be tactical, um, but also they do some sort of psychological work, which I'll, I'll break down more in the piece, um, which can be maybe a bit contentious in terms of how it is actually sort of calculated and, and sort of any, I guess, sort of personality testing can be quite difficult. But the principal idea is good to work out how do we get a balance of, say, introverted people, extroverted people um, in, in a finer balance. And ironically, it's something they had um, some questions about with the 21s in terms of they'd had four home games already this season where they were winning going into the final 15 minutes and they'd lost all of them. And they were conscious that they hadn't maybe got enough extroverts in the group to really sort of, I don't like the term stand up and be counted, but those players to really control the game at the end. And they were 2-1 up going into the game on Monday night against Den Bosch. Um, Den Bosch switched to a 4-2-4 because they're a senior team playing to win games and trying to get promoted. Um, and they end up scoring a goal late on to make it 2 all from a corner. So it was interesting seeing sort of how they approached that extroverts good at the end of games that's an interesting takeaway well that sounds awesome i mean what fun and really looking forward to seeing your work off the back of it on the athletic site uh, anyone that listens that is part of a professional football outfit senior team academy any invites you want to extend our way we're, we're all available at any point <laughs> uh, and uh, i think it's really interesting what you can get off the back of it in terms of both written and audio content as well What was the result? 3-0. 3-0. Do you know what this means? 3-0. But also mean three premierships and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Three for me and two for them. Respect. Respect. Okay, let's kick off today's main topic. Jose Mourinho's time at Roma has come to an end. Liam... It always feels like when one breaks down a Mourinho reign at its end, yeah. you can be on both sides. It was good, certainly plenty on the other side as well. Where do you fall down when it comes to Mourinho and reflecting on his time with Roma? I don't see why you can't think both things, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's, there's the broader context I think is important to look at the sin. Because if you take the broader context, it maybe doesn't look quite as good. If you look at it specifically, uh, there's what a Europa League final, there's a, a Conference League win. There is silverware. That's what he's known for and has achieved really well. Um, their big game record's been really poor. I've, I've made an Italian big six equivalent. I'm not sure if they actually have a... A version that's of a, a different um, grouping of teams, but putting them up against Milan, Inter, Lazio, Juventus uh, and Napoli. Of the 26 league games they played in Mourinho's time there, they lost 16 of those and only won four, which was the worst record if you put that into its own right. sort of mini league. They didn't even score more than a goal a game in that time, only scored 24. And I think if anyone watched the, the game um, at the weekend that they can be quite stagnant. They can be quite hard to watch when things aren't going well because the whole premise has always been let's be really defensively strong, let's have control. Um, and that is generally a plan A that doesn't really manifest into being you know, tactically flexible into sort of a plan B and C. And then beyond that, I think the wider point is that the title, the Scudetto has been shared around in recent seasons. So Napoli, Inter, Milan and Juve have all won it recently. So it, it's 
probably good to an extent when you are winning silverware in Europe, but I guess when you feel like it's achievable to get a Scudetto, um, and we're seeing that again with Inter this season, who have done that from sort of being more of a, a cup team um, under Inzaghi now to being really competitive in the league, admittedly actually with a similar-ish style of play, um, I can see why there's almost wanting to, to pounce on that. I mean, you, you know, I always like to throw in a stat here and there. I think that one of the, the best ones is that across his time at Roma, he averaged 1.6 points per game, which uh, this is tweeted out by Opta, I think. It's the lowest return of any manager who's coached Roma over 50 games in a three points for a win era. So, wow. you know, you, you sort of take the sentiment out of it. I know that Roma fans adored him and there was all the video of him sort of coming out of the, the training ground in, in the car and there was people visibly upset of him, him leaving, himself included within that. But you kind of break it down to the, the hard, cold factors I like to do and that, that return is, is quite telling. Statistically speaking, he's pretty much left Roma exactly in the same state as when he found them. So I saw a really interesting graphic from uh, Aurel Nazmu, uh, who is a data scientist at 21st Group, and does some fantastic work. And he posted it to basically look at Roma's team strength tracked over time, um, you know, based on the, the 21st Group model. And basically from the time that Mourinho arrived to when he left, their team strength is about the level of a lower Europa League quality side. Very little deviation even throughout that as well. So again, is there justifiable reason to say, okay, we maybe need to, to change things? Again, in the cold light of day, given the, the data as well, you'd probably say so. Okay, so that's the last couple of years. I mean, Michael, it's an incredible body of work. It's an incredible life in the game up to this point. Uh, 20 years ago this season, he won the Champions League with Porto. He'd won his first league title I think the season or two before that, and of course, even prior to becoming a, a head coach and a manager, he had uh, a pretty fun time of things as a translator and then um, uh, starting on the coaching ladder as well. Uh, in terms of his place within the current modern football tactics discourse, uh, you've been looking at areas where classic Mourinho is perhaps being left behind. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's various different ways you can say that the game has slightly left him behind. And I think the the most interesting thing is I don't think any of those are massive barriers to succeeding in international football. And I think that's the kind of coach he is now. He was once very revolutionary. 20 years ago, I don't think we should underestimate. He really did change things, shake things up. But he has pretty much remained the same coach, I think, over that period of time. And international football, is, as Liam has spoken about before, it's almost a different game. Very different sport, really. And yeah, looking at his qualities, it's not necessarily just that he's he's kind of been relegated to that level. I, I actually think his style, more than that of Guardiola or Klopp or any of the kind of successful modern coaches, I think is really suited to international football. Okay, well, let's talk through the aspects of his management that you consider make up parts of his style and, and parts of his style that may be less suited to modern club management. He had an incredible reputation for being a man manager as well as a tactician and everything else particularly at Chelsea Michael forming such a strong bond with players is that still the case in this with this new generation of players yeah I think players do get bored of him to be honest there's this thing about you know the third season is is fatal for him that has proved correct at Roma um, but I think it's worth pointing out that he does tend to have a short-term impact I mean at most of his clubs even the more recent ones, even at Tottenham, you know, they were a bit of a shambles when he took over. And for the first six months or so, they were actually quite a good team. And it's almost like the way that he treats players, I think, has a, has a limited lifespan. I think that's that's been fairly obvious. The three-year thing, 
is sort of widely discussed in, in management circles in general, though, not specific to Mourinho. Is there, you know, a, a lot of is it? what... I think there's there's been discussion about, I'm sure Jonathan Wilson has written about it before, about sort of particularly at the higher level where you're challenging for titles, often the same manager's voice can start becoming less effective. And we've yeah, often okay, discussed yeah. Guardiola and Klopp's obsession with turning over the playing staff actually in order to freshen things up. So I guess I'm wondering within that, you think there's something even specific to Mourinho more so than just football managers in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the three-year thing is quite specific and, and works very well with Mourinho. He's left on a high, really, into Porto, where he was only there for two, two and a half seasons. I can't think of any other managers who've consistently fallen down in the third season. I appreciate a more general point about players maybe stop listening to the message. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it does seem that he is more com confrontational and more old school with his management of certain individuals. And I think it's also... Fair to say, over the last 20 years, the type of players involved in football have changed. I think you probably do need to treat modern players a little bit differently. And people often say that that's a, that's a negative thing, that, that players are becoming too soft or whatever. But I thought there was a really interesting interview on BT Sport before a game between Crystal Palace and West Ham where they interviewed David Moyes and Roy Hodgson and asked about the challenges of coaching modern players. And Hodgson was very interesting, saying... He finds it much easier with players these mm. days because they are more professional. They are more self-motivated. They do keep themselves fitter naturally. So I wonder whether Mourinho in certain aspects, yeah, it's, it's not that uh, it's not the players are more difficult to manage. It's that he is very old school and he, he considers himself almost like a, a headmaster and players don't need to. Be. It's not just they don't want to be treated that way. So they don't need to be treated that way. I think there's a lot to be said for how his style will naturally, and I think it's the same for any pragmatic or defensive if you want to look at it, but uh, one that's going to come in and impose a structure is you can implement that quite quickly. We saw that with, with Tuchel is probably in a similar boat at Chelsea that ended in in a similar sort of fashion. And then you look at, despite the fact he's not been at clubs for a ridiculous long period of time, he has won things pretty much wherever he's gone. And that's been a mix of, of leagues and a lot of cups as well. Just had a look that he's won the world's best club coach at four different clubs, which is impressive when you think about the fact he's not had the longevity that, that others might have done. But there's probably less of an end game, I'd say, in terms of when you look at certain possession coaches where they'll say, or positional play coaches of, well, we want to get to a point where we can implement this style and play in this way that we're sort of we're sort of here we're at a, a mid-level and we want to get to a position where we can really control all the games and and you know make them really sort of repetitive i just think you hit that more quickly with with a style where you're being more structured that it gets put in faster than you go after two or three seasons if a lot of it is um you know about achieving that very early and particularly when it comes to europe and, and sustaining that then it probably is hard to do because players are probably poor at defending after two or three seasons yeah, I mean, the guys are talking about the duration of, of his tenure. I have calculated probably the best stat I think I've ever calculated in, in since joining this pod, right? Listen to this. Okay, so, so he has just left Roma after two years, six months, and 15 days, okay? He left Manchester United after two years, six months, and 22 days. And the second time he was at Chelsea, he left after two years, six months, and 14 days. <laughs> so you think about that kind of three wow. season, however long sort of period. There is to the week, uh, what I'm calling a Mourinho madness week, that regularity <laughs> of knowing when your time is up or when things are starting to get toxic or whatever is that 
there's an unbelievable level of sort of accuracy. So, you know, thinking about was this expected to to come for um, for his time at Roma? Um, statistically speaking, you'd have to say yes. <laughs> I think it's also worth pointing out, and I must admit, I haven't checked the numbers because I've only just thought of this, but there was a thing with Mourinho at some of his previous clubs where he'd often just signed quite a big contract shortly before the yes. fallout happened. And and there was a thing during it at Roma with he was wanting a new contract. And it basically got to the point where they were going to have to say, we'll give you a new contract or we're not going to continue. Mm. So I think they've probably learned their lessons from his previous experiences. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In terms of more specifics around style of play and tactical approach, it's nice to come full circle because our first ever episode of the artist formerly known as the Zonal Marking Podcast was titled, Is Jose Mourinho Actually a Defensive Manager? Uh, And Michael, again, we're asking a similar question here. Is the fact that he is perceived and known to be defence first an issue at the top level of the game? I've always said that Mourinho is, is not defensive in terms of that's his strict ideology. I think he's completely pragmatic. I think he'll do whatever he has to do to win. Sometimes that's playing defending. Sometimes that's playing attacking football. Um, That's very different to a lot of modern coaches who fundamentally believe you have to play an attacking style. But I mean, I would say some of his best teams, the Real Madrid team, for example, that won the league in 2011-12, toppled Guardiola's Barcelona, and maybe the best team most of us have seen. They scored 121 goals that season, still a La Liga record. They got 100 points. You can't really get those numbers if you are a defensive coach. But I think the issue is, or he's got two issues. One is that football has steadily become more attack-minded over the last 20 years. You can look at the goals per game rate this season in the Premier League, for example. And in comparison to that, his style, which I think has remained consistent feels very negative and I think the second issue is that as his star has slipped slightly and he's now coaching a side like Roma who you know or Tottenham probably their aim is to come fourth or fifth in the league not to win the league really so there's almost less he's he's less incentivized to go all out attacking to get 100 points because that's not the target you know there's just more games where a draw will be a good result or just keeping the score down away at the best team in the league might be a credible result. So he now does seem like a very defensive coach, which I don't think was the case at Porto, Real Madrid, at Inter, even his first Chelsea team. I, I think on occasion played fantastic football. Yeah, and he was at such dominant teams for, for most of his career. And the record, which I only sort of saw this morning, for having one of the longest unbeaten runs at home in football history, it was nine years, which is 150 games, so the run started at Porto in February 2002, 
and it went on until the 19th of February 2011 at Real Madrid. So he was manager of Porto, Chelsea, Inter Milan and Real Madrid in that time. So he never lost a home game throughout the whole of his first spell at Chelsea yeah. and all of his spell at Inter Milan, which, yes, you are at dominant sides, but just how dominant that that spell was is unbelievable. The second thing I'd say is that, to, to Michael's point, that European football in the modern game is far more kind of obsessed with high intensity, high pressing and winning the ball back high up as well. And to, to Michael's point about Roma, this season they are in the, the bottom five teams in Serie A for high turnovers. So winning the ball back within 40 metres or less uh, of the opponent's goal. So they got 116 high turnovers in total this season. And for context, the, the highest teams by this metric are Fiorentina, Napoli, Inter Milan and Atalanta. And they're all among the top five teams in, in Serie A this season. So, you know, correlation is not causation, but there is a, an element to which you think if you, in the modern game, if you want to, to be dominant, you've got to kind of take that approach a little bit more. I think the perfect encapsulation of this maybe a sort of a, a tipping point is when they beat Bayer Leverkusen in, in the semi-finals last season. Um, one goal in the entire tie. Um, they won the first leg at home and then had one shot in the in the return leg. And Bayer Leverkusen really struggled to break them down. But you look at the fact that they've brought in Xabi Alonso as a coach now and are playing, albeit sort of a, a similar shape or um, a similar approach, but a lot more possession dominant, a lot more attacking focus. They've had the the most possession in the Bundesliga this season. They're top, admittedly, Bayern have a game in hand on them, but even so, they're four points clear, having played one game more. Second top scorers with a really, really fluid, dynamic attacking style. That That is, for better or for worse, the, the homogeneity we're seeing now across Europe where most teams want to play um, in that way. And I think... I presume anyway that now maybe most players have got used to that or like that as well of having the ball of wanting to attack. Um, so I can see why that would now make certain players less inclined to, to play in a style that Mourinho has used so well. Well, that's an interesting point about individual players and how they might perceive playing under him. Michael, we talk about structured attacking play. I mean, to what extent does that sort of dampen the possibilities for a, for an exciting attacking player? Is, is that the sort of profile of player that's struggled or thrived under Mourinho? Well, I think this is often misunderstood. I think because people paint him as a defensive manager, they think he doesn't like glamorous attacking players. I think what he does is he tends to base his sides around one or two real star attackers and they really thrive under him. I mean, as a very general rule, he hasn't really liked wingers. He's been sceptical about wingers and he's, he's really reeled them in uh, a lot over his career. But I mean, some of the number 10s, I mean, Deco played his best football under Mourinho, uh, Schneider at Inter, unquestionably Ozil with Real Madrid. I'd say in a slightly different role, Fabregas at Chelsea, I think was fantastic under Mourinho. And it was interesting to see that the first Roma player who came out and wished Mourinho well was uh, Dybala, who again is that kind of player who mm. Mourinho said he lost his spark, he's lost, he's lost his confidence and they'd worked hard to bring that back. So it's a, t it's a tough one with that. He's not going to give a free role to multiple players. He's not going to play a huge number of attackers in one go. But there's a certain type of player that I think thrives more under Mourinho than, for example, under Guardiola. Usually the players who need a bit of freedom, who can motivate themselves and do their own thing. Someone like Ibrahimovic, I know, obviously a different type of player, but obviously really loved playing under Mourinho because he was allowed to go and do what he wanted. Under Guardiola, there was more of a restraint and he didn't work at all. And I think this is something you have to remember at the same time, people praise Guardiola for being quite free in the final third a lot of the time, that the build-up play can be quite structured in the first two phases. Remember, I think it was a big thing with, with his Barcelona team of, you know, they can not necessarily do what they like, but they're given a lot more freedom. There's no not as many set patterns in the final third because if you're working with some of the top players, then 
they can think faster and attack more intuitively. And I guess also because you don't necessarily know how it's going to look when you get to the final third. You know what a goal kick is going to look like and how you set up and how a team is likely to press you. Um, and you look at the sheer rate of players that as a very sort of basic rule of thumb have, have scored a rate of one in two appearances under him. You've got the likes of Ibrahimovic that Michael mentioned, Lukaku, Kane, Ronaldo, Benzema. There are certain players that the more you try to structure things, actually the worse it gets because they then don't have that freedom to to work. And I, I look back at the, the Kane and Son partnership, which I think was really big um, under Mourinho at Spurs, which is just a great example of when you've got that talent that actually sometimes the best way to let them work is to put in the structure in sort of maybe your own half or two thirds. And that can be with or without the ball. Um, as much as people talk about sort of rest defence now, there's the, the rest attack concept of where your strikers are when you're um, you know, going to be able to transition when you do regain the ball. Um, so I think that, that that can be a really unfair stick to beat him with because there's a lot of possession managers or positional play managers that, that probably do the same thing. And lastly, Michael, you bring up the fact that Mourinho may not be up to speed with modern fitness methods. Now, to me, this feels... Unfortunate for Mourinho, and to an extent, an example of him being a, kind of a victim of his own success because at the start of his career, well, some of his methods were quite new and became modern fitness methods, right? And now that's kind of been caught up with a little. Yeah, so this concept of periodization, which is, to summarise it very briefly, is about building physical uh, conditioning into tactical and technical exercises mm -hmm. not splitting them it was quite revolutionary again 20 years ago and it wasn't Mourinho's idea but this kind of the godfather of periodization is a guy called Vitor Frade who is Portuguese and I think I'm right in saying he was a lecturer at university in Porto when Mourinho was there maybe one of the other towns where Mourinho had worked in but they were very close and he was Mourinho really was the first one to introduce this into top level European football and it's one of those things where, yeah, you can be a revolutionary. If everyone copies you and catches up, then you don't have that trump card anymore. And on top of that, I, I gather Mourinho actually just doesn't see the need for players to be ultra fit, like completely ultra fit, like you have to be to play on a Klopp side. That real ability to just constantly sprint to press again and again and again. He's just a bit old school. He thinks players have to be fit, of course, but he's, he focuses on other things. And I think you can see that in his side. I mean, the lack of pressing, you can say that's physical, you can say it's tactical, you can say it's psychological, I suppose. But there's just, his sides just don't play with that intensity in general. They can have 20 or 30 minutes when they have to go for it, where they do. But I don't think of his sides as like starting the game 100 miles an hour. Mm the way a Klopp side does, for example. It's just not a part of his game. Yeah, just very quickly on that in terms of Roma this season, we, we know that PPDA has its own kind of blind spots, but as a broad proxy of uh, pressing intensity, uh, their PPDA this season is 12.3, which is the 10th best. So it speaks to, to Michael's point that they aren't wholly um, intense in their press. One thing I'd kind of counteract that with is that typically Mourinho's sides were maybe not high intensity off the ball but then when they regained it they would counterattack with with pace and purpose and, and another reason maybe why Roma have struggled is that they haven't even had that either so they're quite low press intensity but then you look at their volume of direct attacks which we've spoken about before is a proxy of of counterattacking um they have 19 in total and only Torino have fewer in Serie A this season so they're kind of caught between doing nothing really, neither sitting off and counterattacking with purpose or, you know, pressing high. So again, another reason maybe for his downfall and why he's no longer at Roma.
There was a story a couple of years ago that I think the Athletic broke as well, which was that um, Mourinho dismantled the sports science department at Manchester United. And I think when Ralph Rangnick came in, it actually mentioned that, that they had to basically put into place a new system that he'd rather, as Michael said, would sort of evaluate these things himself. He'd give his own sort of opinion. And um, yeah, that just things sometimes can catch up with you. And otherwise you're speaking about a manager who's been or a head coach who's been in the game for a really long period of time that's probably had a similar sort of end to, to Wenger, I think, in terms of, okay, admittedly, that was more for Wenger at one one long stint at um, a club, whereas this was over a succession. But the same thing, if you can be really revolutionary and bring a lot of new ideas or ideas that are new to a certain place from somewhere else and get loads of games with that. And unless you can always be that innovative and that, you know, there's a limit to all the new things you can invent and create and add in. Um, and he's had a lot of success. And just if you look at the end of it, okay, yeah, has caught up with him a bit. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. National team manager is, is a special job. It's different than being a club, a club manager. I want to work every day. I want to train every day. I want to have matches every week. If it's possible, I want to have two, three matches a week. I, I love to do it. And um, I know it's also a big responsibility to, to manage a country, but uh, it's a work that with uh, recent 43 years of age is, is not for me. So I want to be, I would say, you never know, but I would say 12 more years in in top club level and after that time for for my country i think and what i like is that michael provides a bit of light in the darkness uh, a bit of positive out of the negative and that is that to your eyes a lot of the things that we've discussed as being a sort of net negative for Mourinho in, in club football management could be quite the opposite on the international stage yeah international football i think First and foremost, it is more defensive than club football. I think that's obvious. I don't think any side really over the last two decades has play, has won the Euros or the World Cup with an attacking style of play. I think maybe Spain 2008 would be an exception to that. I wouldn't say the other. I wouldn't say Del Bosco's Spain were attack-minded. They, they focus on keeping clean sheets just in a very different way. Even Germany 2014, I thought, were quite cagey, quite negative for much of that tournament. We remember the 7-1 against Brazil, but that was very much an outlier. So, yeah, there is a different style of play. You need to be able to organise a defence. I think, first and foremost, it's a knockout competition. Clean sheets is really important. Um, and you need to be able to put your methods into practice really quickly. I think Guardiola might struggle with that. You know, I think unless he's working with players who have played under him previously or, or played under similar coaches previously, I think it would be difficult with the limited amount of time they have on the training ground to 
to really make that work. I mean, I look at Luis Enrique at Spain. I think personally, I think he's a really good coach. I like the way that they played in terms of their build-up play. They passed the ball very well, but they did underachieve. They weren't a, a consistently dangerous side in the final third. I did think there was something lacking from them uh, in the final third. And also they weren't defensively solid either. They conceded too many goals. So a lot of these coaches who are unquestionably at the forefront of the club game, I'm not sure how much they would work in international football. And we actually haven't seen, there isn't that much evidence in recent years of someone going from the top of the club game to the top of the international game. Maybe Italy, you'd say, is an exception. You've had Mancini and Conte and now Spalletti. But in general, I mean, I don't think most people could name the Spain manager at the moment. Luis de la Fuente. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's just, in, in club football, he's, he's nowhere. Yeah. Well, this is a slightly growing trend, right, of managers or coaches from sort of youth level with youth experience that are then making that step up. So Gareth Southgate, of course, uh, has that. Um, Lionel Scaloni with Argentina. And again, this all follows into Michael's point about the structure and even having, you know, Lionel Messi to, to build a team around is still being you know, fairly quite rigid a lot of the time. You watch the the Copa America final win um, against Brazil in Brazil, admittedly behind closed doors. Um, they win it 1-0 with a, a goal in the first half from Di Maria and it's quite then a cagey, turgid final game by the end of it because you know, tournaments are there to, to be won, aren't they, not to be played. Um, as people say, and another great example now uh, in Japan is, is Moriyasu, um, who's got national team um, experience at, at youth level. So I wonder if it's a case of understanding one, the generation that's going to come through to you that you're going to inherit, possibly working with some of those players, but also just the dynamics of being in camps a lot of the time of coaching in, you know, five, I don't know, five to 10 sessions over the course of a week or a period of time. And then going into that, it's just in like waves, really. I guess you don't play for a few months and it's two or three games in quick succession. Um, and it, it was something really that I'd only, um, sort of started to appreciate when I went to uh, England, uh, France under 21s um, earlier, uh, or sort of last calendar year um, before the Euros and, and Lee Carsey then were sort of saying that their expectations as that was the first game in that camp was sort of different to what it might be in the second or third game because this is the first time these players have, have played together for, for a period of time. Um, so that, that to me kind of stands out. But I'd also make the point that and I think you see this with, with any successful national team, uh, France in particular, um, Italy to a degree, definitely England, success they've had in recent years is these tournaments, I think, aren't necessarily just won by the manager or the coach and the tactics, but it's it's the talent development. It's a, They're won in decades, aren't they? And you give yourself the chance to compete by getting that generation of players and to come through to, to having the depth. Japan are a great example now. There's no Matoma at the tournament, um, or he's, he's injured, sorry, and, and Kubo started the first game on the bench and they still went and, and scored four goals. Um, so having that quality of player is, is essential. And to be fair, what Mourinho has worked with throughout his whole career. And the perception of him is that he's an excellent knockout football or cup competition coach and manager. Does that still hold up now, Michael, do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the funny things about Roma was for a side who fairly consistently finished second or third in Serie A for about two decades, they never really did much in the European competitions. I mean, they got to a couple of semifinals, once in the Europa League and once in the Champions League, but they hadn't won a European title since the Fairs Cup in 1961, which was the, the precursor to the UEFA Cup, for them to win the, Europa, uh, the Conference League, I know that was a new competition, but you could tell with the celebrations that it meant a lot to Roma. And then get to the final of the Europa League last year. Yeah, absolutely shows that he's still a, a pretty good knockout manager. Got to the quarterfinals of the Copa America uh, in both seasons. So yeah, he is more suited to that style of football. 
I'd say he's probably always been more suited to that style of football. Just seems so comfortable in those situations, those yeah. high pressure situations. He, he, he seems to know the right, yeah, the right way of approaching it. And I also think he's he's a little bit suited to underdogs as well. Mm. I mean, when you look at his two big successes has been winning the European Cup with Porto and winning the European Cup with Inter. And where they came from, I know they're big clubs, but they weren't as good sides as Chelsea or Real Madrid. He's almost slightly better suited to working with a team who I don't think have expectations of playing great football. And I think in international football, kind of take your pick. There's not that many countries who are absolutely determined to play really good attacking football. I think there's a lot of a lot of nations who would absolutely take a bit of success in return for, you know, solidity and a bit of individual magic. There's got to be countries out there now as well that have feel they're at a point where they've got a generation that is of really good quality that wants to succeed. I think the two that stand out as being at the other end of that journey now of just starting in with a fresh generation are probably Uruguay and probably Belgium. And you look at the coaches they brought in and Bielsa and Tedesco. Um, I know Bielsa's had previous national team jobs, but two coaches that are definitely renowned um, you know, for their tactical ways of working from implementing a style of play. Maybe Germany as well with, with, with Nagelsmann. Um, and Michael did a great piece uh, watching Belgium um, that I read back and sort of looking at playing with different styles and different systems. Um, so I guess it's it's really a case of timing and matching what do you need to do with that generation of players and also I guess what the 21s or the age group teams are doing um, and what you're trying to get out of, of with the first team. In, in that sense, could that be a bit of a sticking point in that he would, let's say to take a team to the 2026 World Cup, the, the Euros, you'd think is too soon. Would associations look at Mourinho and be worried about just parachuting him in for that short-term job? When, as you say, there does seem to be, certainly within the FA, but presumably elsewhere, again, maybe more than ever a focus on here's our process, here are the people within the system, not just dropping a, a sort of atomic bomb in there. Yeah, I guess so. And as I mentioned, there's there's quite a few now that seem to want to promote someone that's worked within that um, youth setup. But then there's also the example of, of uh, Wally Rogragi with Morocco at the World Cup and coming in, I think he had literally two or three games. He came in over the summer and then implemented again a, a very structured style of play with, with talent in, in specific parts of the pitch and a very clearly defined style and, and got, got all the way to the semifinals. Um, so it, it can be done. It's just a case of, you know, it's that never-ending discussion or debate in international football of, should you develop for however long in the case of, do you actually really need to? Because that can all be done. If you get players good enough from 17 to 21, then you can get, get in a Mourinho and then two, four years later say, just go and get another one. Well, love him or not, you can't argue that Jose Mourinho for many decades now has been uh, someone that we love to talk about. And international football as well is going to play a big part in 2024 in the global football calendar and therefore on this podcast as well. We are uh, early on in the Africa Cup of Nations, the Asian Cup as well. Uh, of course, we have the Euros and the Copper America later on this year. So uh, we will be committed to covering international football uh, properly this year on this podcast. So make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast feed if you're not already. Do subscribe to The Athletic as well. Today's best offer can be found on theathletic.com forward slash tactics. A big thank you to Michael, to Liam and to Mark Carey as well for joining me. And we hope that you will do so again next week on The Athletic Football Tactics podcast. The Athletic.